Hello and welcome to another episode of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories. Uh, it's myself, Mark, today, and... Eleanor! It's us again. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The two of us haven't gotten to do this in a while. No, with everyone kind of being back in, they've been stealing all the fun. I know. I haven't liked it. How dare they? How very dare they. Mm. But there's going to be new people listening to this as well, as there is every episode. We get a few more people kind of coming on and subscribing and listening to the story. So, uh, hello and welcome to all the regular listeners and anyone who just happens across this. Yes, indeed. Welcome. It's so nice to have you. Um, Myself and Mark are the OG podcast hosts. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. we're the original podcast. I mean, not the original. The original museum podcast. Museum podcast. Yeah, pre-episode 17. Pre-episode 17, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but also it's your last podcast. Yeah, this is my uh, my my last podcast. Yeah, I thought it was going to be the the one before this, but no, this is the last. This one. is the final podcast. It's like those closing down sales. Do you ever see those? Yeah, I, I remember there used to be a shop on Abbey Street, and they had a closing down sale for a good five or six years. Oh yeah, my um. Uh, my aunt has a shop in Port Leash, and so this isn't her, but the shop next to her, which is a, a shoe a shoe shop, yeah. that um, every so often we would put up the closing down sale sign. And when my mom went in one day because she was looking at the shoes and asked about it, she said, "Oh yeah, we put that up every time business is slow." Oh wow, that yeah. is. Well, we're we're not we're not doing it. This will be your last podcast. Yes, it will. And I'm glad I could say that in a non-threatening way. <laughs> yeah, barely. <laughs> But it's the thing, it's, and it's like with our stories, it's never really the end. Mm. Like, we're, we're looking at and preparing for sound at the moment, for Halloween, and yes. it's just, that really is punching home the idea that there isn't really an ending to things in Ireland or in no. Irish stories. There's always another iteration or, mm. or the other side of things. Yes, life goes in cycles. Yeah. And we have Tom, of course, joining us on this one today in the form of our storyteller for today's episode. Yes, indeed. It's always... Um it's not often that Tom would tell us a story in the office, but but when it does happen, there is a sort of sense things do change. They sort of gather around. And yeah, it's a, it's a real treat. I don't yeah. know. It's like I don't know. I've been trying to think of an example of something when I was growing up where if if it happened, it was an absolute joy. But it's like Christmas. Yeah, you know I mean, it comes around once a year. You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's not like it's not like a Tuesday. Mm. We're there every week. Um, yeah, it is a real joy. Imagine yeah. having the imagine having the. The ability to be able to hold back and not tell a story every five minutes. <laughs> I'd struggle with that. Like, I mm. mean, if, for me, it's a, if you can do it, do it. Yeah, that's but what Tom makes it all the more, the more special. Yeah, yeah, he's a tease is basically what we're getting at. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, since this is going out as a podcast, you'll be able to to, to pause and rewind and listen to this over and over and over again oh, whenever yeah. you want to get your Tom story fix. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's good to do. And I love the story that he's chosen today. I know we're not going to go straight into it, but... Mm. Um, it's a very special story for some of us in the museum because, again, it's one of these places that we've been to. Yes. And we've visited twice. Uh, so for me, like, I've been there with two different lineups, I suppose, mm-hmm. two different casts. I don't mm-hmm. know how I'd refer to that kind of, but... How do you, what do, how do you refer, um, what do you call a group of storytellers? Like I'm not allowed to say on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could say on our Darkland, our over 18s tours, uh, what I call them. Um, but for today's journey into the other world, we're going to listen to te- Tom tell the story of the legend not Grafton. And Eleanor, I'm sure me and you are going to have plenty to say after we listen to him. Uh, it is an amazing story, but he really does show you there's quite a number of ways you can tell this story. 
Yes, indeed. If you've, if you've heard the legend of Knockgrafton before, uh, this uh, won't be quite as you remember it. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, if you told us to tell it again here and now, he'd probably tell it different again. Oh, yeah. Well, then I, best, I suppose we best get into the story then. Yes, indeed. Here we go. In those days before plastic bags and motorways, uh, people would go from town to town selling their wares. And one of these guys was a fellow called Lusmore, and he made baskets for a living. He wove the baskets out of willows. And he was about, well, it didn't really matter what age he was because it wasn't the thing you'd notice about him. The thing you'd notice about him was the lump on the back of his neck. And it was about the size and shape and colour of a butcher's fist stuck to the back of his neck and it made him bend over and he could never fasten the collar on his shirt and everybody kind of looked at him with a sad kind of pity but he made fine baskets and people bought them and they were probably the better baskets you could buy in the market any day of the week but one day he was in care and he was selling the baskets away it was a slow day in the market and he had to be in cashel the next day and he stayed late so that he could sell more of the baskets and a fewer to carry up to cashel which is about three and a half hours walk away so as it got dark that night, he set off for Cashel. And on the way to Cashel, about two miles outside Care, there's a hill, not Grafton. As he came near the hill, he could hear singing or some kind of noise come from the hill. And he slowed down and listened. And he went close to the hill, inquiring what it might be. He dropped the baskets and he began to climb up the hill. And when he got to the top, he could still hear the singing, probably louder, but it didn't seem any closer. And he listened, and the song was going around and around and around, and it wasn't stopping. And the singing was incoherent, I suppose, is how you might describe it, but it was tuneful. And as he listened, he came up with a bit of a tune himself. Just as the singing got to the part, he raised the key and gave it about three bars and finished the tune. And then he listened again, and the singing had stopped. And for a while there was complete silence. And then a voice said, go up and see who it is. Another voice says, we'll all go up and see who it is. And suddenly, Lusmore looked around and there was a hundred pairs of eyes on him. The fairy folk. And they laughed when they saw him. And they opened up the side of the hill and said, come on in, we're having a party. And your tune just finishes it off nicely. For the whole of the rest of that night, they treated him like royalty. Singing and dancing, playing music, everything. And as the sun began to rise, the little fellas went off into the corner. They began to whisper, looking over at Lusmore. And they came back to him and said, Lusmore, you're after giving us something. We want to take something else from you. And one of them reached out and tapped him on the back of the neck. And the lump that was on his neck slipped off and slid onto the floor and melted away. And suddenly... Lusmore could stand up straight once more. And he ran out the door, skipping and jumping. And he nearly forgot to turn around and say thank you. But as he did, all he could hear the echo of his own voice. Thank you, thank you. He went down to the bottom of the hill and collected his baskets. And went up to Cashel to sell his wares that day. And it was a long time into that day before anyone actually recognised him. As the man who used to be stooped over with a lump on the back of his neck. And that would be the end of the story. Only there was another basket seller there that day. Jack Madden. A 
as sour as weak old milk. And he was disgusted when he found out about Lusmore. The beaten down, ugly troll that was selling baskets as competition was now beaming. People nodding at him, smiling. And Jack Madden thought how unfair it was that he would now be subservient to this guy, Lusmore, who'd always been a beaten down old tramp of a fellow. And he took Lusmore aside and bought him a pint to congratulate him on his good luck of getting rid of his hump and eventually wheedled out of him what had happened. And Jack Madden could barely contain himself. And as soon as the sun began to set that night, he ran all the way down to Knockrafton and climbed the hill, listening out for the fairy tune. And then he heard it. And they were singing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And they'd stop. They'd sing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then they'd stop again. And Jack Madden says, great, I can jump in now. And when they got to the Sunday part again, he jumped up and shouted, And Monday morning! Dead silence. And then a voice said, But we hate Monday mornings! Get out of here, you idiot! And he felt something cold and wet hitting him on the back of the neck like a clod of turf. And when he woke up in the morning, he had a lump, just as Lusmore had had, on the back of his neck. And he never had a good day's luck since until the day he died. There you have it. That's Tom's legend of not grafting. Fairies, they're just like us. They're just he does have a way of making it very relatable. Yeah. You know, even from the thing uh, before the time of plastic bags and motorways. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. really nice way. Yeah, it's, it's a really nice way of taking us from where we are now mm. and bringing us into the story. Yeah. Uh, Whilst also uh, be you know, using that as a point to bring in, uh, well, well before plastic bags. Lusmore made baskets yeah. and oh before motorways Lusmore had to, to walk however many miles down the road to, to Cashel yeah yeah, he keeps it all relevant mm. but he does just have a lovely turn of phrase with how he says some of the things lovely turns of phrase Tom has but I think that's one of the really important things about storytelling is I mean a lot of people can get up and tell a very impressive story in a way that's intimidating and it's kind of acts as a barrier I feel to the audience you know you want the audience to feel like they're part of something and to be able to experience it with you. Yeah. yeah. And, and Tom does that in, in a great way. I mean, who, who, who likes Monday mornings? <laughs> who likes Monday mornings? Um, I mean, we don't work the kind of standard kind of hours at the museum because we, we open on the weekends and that, but yet still, even if Monday was your Friday, I don't think I could enjoy a Monday morning. No. Can't no. even enjoy it if I have it as a day off. Yeah. It's, it's a cursed time. It is a, a, a cursed time. You're right there, Mark. And um, yeah, Tom, you know this, um, you know, this, this story, Legend of Not Grafton, um, which has been, um, which is a, a probably, a, which is a really well-known folktale. Yeah. Um, but it's come through the filter of Tom's mind and Tom's yeah. experiences. And you know, it's, even without like the little changes to the story me he made just because of how he told it and his turns of phrase, you know it's it's his. It's unique to yeah. him and that's what you want. But you see that in the museum with him as well, because one it is such a like a 
I wouldn't say it's a standard story because it doesn't get told an awful lot inside the museum. No, but it is a favourite. Yeah, it's strange. It's one we kind of hold back for ourselves almost. Yeah. It's like the good packet of biscuits. <laughs> you know what I mean? It comes out at the right time. You don't necessarily always just, you know, put them out on the plate. Yeah. You know, it has to be someone special coming through. You don't want to overtell it. No, and that's the thing as well. You don't want to overtell it. Um, but it's like that thing with Tom. It's such a Tom story. Yes. Tom doesn't tell them often, but when he tells them, like, it's, it's a piece of gold like that. Yeah. Or it's something that leaves you scratching your head. <laughs> but what I love about this one is that it's it's so relatable. Everyone knows a Lustmore. You mean, you can only yeah. hope that in your circles you are the Lustmore because he's so good and kind. Yeah. He's not one to gripe or complain about a situation. He just gets in and, and does it. Yeah. The voice is a kind word for everybody and... You know, knows when to, to, to what knows when to contribute and yeah. when to hold back. You know, especially with that song. Yeah, and and we all know a Jack Madden as well, though. Mm. And you really don't want to be the Jack Madden in your group. No. Um, but the story, I mean, it's in Thomas Croft and Croker's collection yes. of stories. I mean, that's and that's where you first kind of see it finding its way onto a page. Yes. But even in the. The, the front of the museum, it's 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 an illustration we have in the front room by John D. Batten. Yeah. That is so popular. And it's just a simple kind of silhouette of Lusmore dancing with the good folk. And the customers always comment on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean there's a lot of impressive things in that front room. Yeah. Um, but that is the image that everyone everyone tends to point out. Yeah, well the first time that we went to Not Grafton, Not Grafton is a is a modern daily down in Tipperary, mm. which is a large you know, hill. It's a strange formation for a hill because it, it, it's essentially man-made because they would have built the wooden structures on top of it. Mm. Um, even the term modern bailey is, is, is you know, it's just, it's just an odd term. But I remember someone saying it was like a, a heap of sugar with the top flattened off. That's what a modern yeah. bailey was like. And I was at another one recently down in Grenard mm. uh, in Longford such a similar feel to the place mm. as well but the first time we went to knock Grafton, i remember as a number of storytellers on one of our field trips and it was just like an afterthought or at least it seemed that way but now knowing that tom had organized the trip i think we were meant to happen across it yeah but um it was dark and it was a really kind of clear night and the stars were out and the, it's a crescent moon mm. it, it sounds so romantic and in, in a lot of ways it was but you could just see the silhouette of the hill. And we didn't climb the hill because it's quite dangerous, you know, to do that in the dark. But we were standing in the field beside it, which had just been ploughed. So the ground was very uneven. Ah. Um, you know, a big stick kind of walking across the field so I wouldn't fall. Because I wasn't prepared for that sort of terrain. Yeah. But uh, we, we were there, we told the story. And I think Ita maybe played her whistle or sang as a tune. And it was in such contrast to the, the next time that we went as a group because we set out for Knock Grafton. We set out for it. It was intentional. Like we Jack knew Madden. we were going. Yeah, like Jack Madden. <laughs> but not like Jack Madden. Okay. Um, and we, we, we got our way to the top. And I remember Nisha making their way up like a mountain goat. So nimble is our Nisha. Um, and we got up to the top and we told the story. And we all took parts in, in it. Mm. So while Nisha told a story, we acted it out. And each of us took turns getting involved in it. And it was amazing. And it was a cold enough day. And it was a bit damp. But the real 
action came when it was time to walk back down the hill. Oh yeah. They're quite steep. Mm. And I remember Kira couldn't get down the hill. She she actually the footing for it just wasn't working and Nisha stood at the bottom and Kira basically just let herself fall, like running fall down the hill, uh, to be caught in Nisha's arms at the other end. And it was it was it was it was amazing to see. I was so terrified I would be the one to fall because with my build I'd mm-hmm. have left a dent in the ground maybe. But yeah, it was it was absolutely amazing. But those hills are places to keep treasure. For yes. us, the treasure were, were the stories. But mm-hmm. the the one down in Grenard mm-hmm. in Longford in two thousand seventeen, it was um, the mound was disturbed, Eleanor. Yeah, they don't know who did it, but there was a meter square hole dug into the base of the hill. They don't know if there was anything there to be taken. They just know that it was dug into and disturbed. My God. Nothing good will come of it, Eleanor. No. There'll be bad luck had by those people. There will be. 2017, be four years ago, they're probably dead already. Mm-hmm. I, um, was it not... Um, I, I think I remember reading that Thomas Crofton Croker like, heard, was told that story for the first time, standing at Knockrafton in its shadow. I haven't heard... I, I mean, Thomas Crofton Croker is quite a controversial kind of character himself. Mm. Um... But that, that sounds about right for something that to be said about him. <laughs> um, you wouldn't know if it was the case, but uh, there's no denying. It's one of the finest collection of stories, I think. Yeah. Um, it's got some of my favourites are in his collections, mm-hmm. even if I think he was a bit of a schleeve. Yeah. 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 And then the, 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 the Grimm brothers would have translated this story into German as well. Yeah. Um, or rather her sister and younger brother would have, done, <laughs> would have done the translation and all the work but didn't get the glory mm. I think Thomas Croft and Croker and the brothers Green were the type to hang around the goal yeah. do you know what I mean like just, just being ready there to just tap it in and, and take all the glory to soak up all the glory yeah yeah, yeah. we know the type mm. <laughs> but um, I was thinking about because you know Lustmore isn't really an aim you know, Lusmore means foxglove yeah. in, in, in Irish. And, and our Lusmore here is, is, is called that because he has a sprig of, of foxglove in his hat yeah. that he wears. Um, and I was wondering afterwards, um, because cause foxglove is, is associated with the fairies, you know, they, they, they wear it on their heads like caps. And I was wondering when, when Lusmore, you know, came up not, gra- not grafting that night was... Um, that one of the things that also, you know, made him look to the fairies like a like a like a friend, yeah. because they were both wearing foxglove on their heads. Yeah, and it's a strange choice of plant because it only flowers every second year, mm-hmm. uh, and it's poisonous. Yes, and a lot, an awful lot of the poisonous, beautiful uh, flowers, wildflowers that we have in Ireland, get associated with the flower uh, with the fairies rather. And I wonder if that has something to do with the idea that you know. They're beautiful, but stay away from them. Yeah. It's like a warning sign, mm. like those beautiful coloured creatures that, you know, it's stay away from me. Foxglove Fox also played an important part in our last story, in our last episode as well. What was that again? That was the, the five pinks of, pigs of, oh, of yes. Monkstown, where <laughs> the, uh, the Englishman yeah. turns uh, somehow... The um, foxglove leaves into into pigs, and yeah. then when they the pigs hit the water, they turn back into the foxglove. Yeah. yeah, well, it's beautiful. I, well, I go out driving with my father every week, and um, 
yeah, it's been really nice because while I say it's flowers every second year, mm -hmm. not all of the foxgloves only flower every second year. You mm -hmm. could literally have two beside each other and they would alternate. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, because you'd be wondering, what's he wearing in his hat every second year? <laughs> but there's always foxglove, but some of them you just see the tall, I mean, three, four foot high, beautiful green stems on them. But the, the flowers are just beautiful. Yeah. It's a wildflower and it's controlled and it's covered under the Noxious Plants and Weeds Act. Mm -hmm. um, but it is beautiful to look at. I don't think yeah. I could pull it up or get rid of it. And if you do handle it, you really have to be careful washing your hands. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But there is something Tom did leave out of the story, though, and that's the little song. Yes, yeah, yeah, because it is quite a musical number. Yes. Um, um, I, I think uh, Thomas Crofton Croker included a, a tune for the song. Yeah, yeah, there's music with it as well. I don't know if the tune that I have in... I don't think the tune I have in my head um, for this story is that tune, though. Um, well, there's only one way to find out, really. <laughs> <laughs> um... So it, you know, it's you know, the loon de marsh, the loon de marsh, the loon de marsh, the loon de marsh. That the fairies are singing over and over again, Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, before um, Lustmore comes along, and then he comes in, uh, you know, August Acadian, um, and sorry. I, I said Tuesday, Wednesday. My gosh, yeah. I meant Monday, Tuesday. But Tom did that amazing thing that, mm. that really great storytellers do yeah. where they make it more relevant because no one has a problem. Like the, to add in a Monday morning yeah. is something that in the 21st century we can associate with, which mm. in the 19th century when Thomas Croft and Croker wrote this down, I don't think Monday morning would have been such an issue. They didn't have weekends then. Didn't have weekends. Oh no, they wouldn't have had weekends. Yeah. Um, in fairness, Labor laws. I feel like I don't. I don't have them that often myself. Mm. But yeah, it is amazing that t Tom did that thing of just making it relevant with a very simple change. Yeah. And it's something that storytellers have a permission to do. Yes. You know, it's not like changing the dates in a historic event. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think there's actually a a, a, a responsibility on storytellers to keep the stories alive and sometimes that means tweaking the details yeah but it's also like I know we've just said about how oh you know back in the in the 19th century where the story originated you know Monday mornings wouldn't have had uh, such the cultural negative cultural cachet that they would have today so uh, but um, it, it, I, I you love know, that, you that, did all of that last section <laughs> <laughs> but that stuff doesn't mightn't occur to you for a while so yeah. it does it does still make sense within the context of the story it's not like modernising a story for the sake of it, you know. Yeah. It's like then, oh, and Lusmore heard these fairies singing, and then he he tweeted August Decadine, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, the comments and replies I can only imagine. <laughs> He'd be cancelled though. But I mean, there's so many great versions of that story where we see the introduction of Jack Madden's mother. Yes. And it kind of to see in Tom's version, I love that Jack Madden is is a slightly stronger character. Less pathetic than how you might read it in Thomas Croft and Croker, and he goes and has a pint with Lusmore. Yeah, because usually it's um, Jack Madden um, down in Waterford sends his his mother, an old woman, up to to Lusmore to ask, you know, how he got rid of the how he got rid of the hump and or the lump, and then uh, when she comes back and tells him, it's the mother who has to to wheel him all the way to Tipperary to Knockgrafton. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think as well how they handle the idea of the lump on the neck and Tom's description not being able to close the, the collar mm. is a very kind of kind way of dealing with it because there's, there's no avoiding kind of like when you see older versions or you hear some people still today telling it and referring to Lusmore as, as a hunchback. Mm. And I think to apply that label to them and, and identify them as that, whereas you can say Lusmore had a hump on his back, mm-hmm. you can absolutely say that about him. But to refer to him by his like unusual appendage is yeah. is is not kind. No, it's not the medical term. Either. It's not the medical term. No, but um, yeah, again, it's just it's 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 a way that you can play with these stories and still keep them relevant. Though some people, I recently had an interaction with someone who was giving out about the idea of changing the stories. Oh, okay, uh, and. They were giving out talking about kind of queer characters in, in in Irish folklore and mythology, and saying that you you can't make that, you can't you can't do that to the stories, and um, because you're saying stuff that didn't happen. Hmm. And I used the example of Tierna Nog. I'm saying like, you want to stick with what didn't happen, you know what I mean? So what what's the version where the lady comes across on the magical horse? And takes them away to the land where people don't age or ever get <laughs> sick. It's just like, yeah, that's that's what we need to be protecting. But I think, I think storytelling allows us to deal with issues that we're facing, you mm-hmm. know, and to to explore social kind of narratives um, in in a modern way. I mean, looking at Lusmore there and the idea of the flare on his hair, and maybe I'm stereotyping, but. My God, wouldn't it be amazing if Lusmore was just just super queer character? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We've got Jack Madden on the other side, and it's just like you know, there there is there is a social statement being made within that story. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it takes a couple of tweaks to highlight that. Um, well, then it's great, but the stories also then make people feel less marginalised and less alone. Yeah, which I think is is probably the single most important part of this style of storytelling. Mm. It's different to recording history. Yeah. And I mean, it's not as if, you know, because the the, the fairies do remove um, Lusmore's lump yeah. from, from him, um, but, you know, and, and do make his life easier in, in that respect and, and healthier and um, a lot less painful. Mm. Um, but it's not the same as, you know, it's, it's a thing that ostracizes him, but... Um, but like in say in in your head canon, yeah. Um, the next morning when when Lusmore wakes up, um, at, without the the lump on his on his neck and is is able to stand up straight, and it turns out oh he's six seven, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know he would still be he would still be queer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's not. It's it's that's tra- and also in, in never in every version I've ever heard and in every version I've ever told and I've told several versions of this. Mm. Lusmore has never asked for it to be removed. No, never. You know, and you never see. Never assumes. You never see um, things changing too much um, with with Lusmore's life. No. But Lusmore is another great example of, or another example of, we never know much about the characters outside those stories. No. I would love to read the further adventures of Lusmore, or even the further adventures of Jack Madden. Yeah. Like. There's not just one story that happens in your life. But like Lusmore is also Lusmore and, and his story is also a very well known standout character in Irish folklore. You know, yeah. uh, we've said before that um, oh the a lot of these these stories and these usually men 
that you um, that, that, that you meet for a story in Irish folklore and then you, you don't really hear of them again. Um, they and them, the, 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 these usually male main characters are sort of forgettable. It's what happens yeah. to them that's the inter- interesting part, but Lusmore himself, you remember. Yeah. Maybe that's just because, oh, he has, um, he is in himself different. He has a physical disability. Um, but it's it, but it is his 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 temperament yeah. um, and his, and his character in another sense that you do remember. Maybe because he has that foil in Jack Madden as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you always need that. There's it is a perfectly balanced and perfectly weighted story. Mm. And I actually I was asked recently, and I was actually by Tom. We were looking. He was wondering what is that, you know, perfect folk tale that encapsulate encapsulates. Our, our stories and I was like it's it's got to be not Grafton yeah it's not always my favourite to tell but even my favourite stories can't touch the legend of not Grafton no and we're really lucky to get to listen to Tom telling it today and there will be more stories in the future mm-hmm. and there will be more storytellers and maybe we'll get a few more from Tom but Eleanor this is your final podcast and we are coming to the end of it it is indeed. I don't know if you can edit in a trumpet, trumpet sounding in the distance. <laughs> uh, but it's been an absolute pleasure over the last, how many months have we been doing these podcasts, like during lockdown? Um, oh, like the, uh, we've been doing about a year, um, almost. So this is coming out on the 1st of September. Yeah. And we'll have been doing this version in, um, since October and we'll have done about 20 episodes of this. Okay. Yeah. And we would have done about 19 of those. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's been an absolute joy. I I wonder where the story's going to go after this, you know. Mm. Uh, it's kind of like, the idea in my head is like there's Mulder and Scully. But imagine then, like, afterwards, it's Mulder and Margaret. <laughs> it's, it's just not the same. So thank you so much for this podcast, for all the previous podcasts. And thank you to everyone to, to, for listening. Um, I'm sure you'll hear more from Eleanor in the future as she goes on to be um, amazing in her field. It's not an actual field, I mean, in her area of, uh, of engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, but that brings us to the end of the podcast. Eleanor, do you want to sign us out and tell us what the guys can expect next? Yeah, I will. Um, thank you so much for uh, listening. Um, you know, we, uh, we make this with your permission, with the listener's permission. Um, yes. Yeah, so it, it's been, I've really loved doing this podcast. It's it's one of my favorite favorite things, and uh, I'm sorry to be uh, to be leaving it, but I know it's in it's going to be in some great hands, and some some great storytellers are going to be. I get to, to to make room for them now. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Big, <laughs> big, big golden shoes to fill. <laughs> well, size fives. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we have uh, some videos coming out. Um. And actually, I can't really tell you. Uh, what to expect because I know things are going to be shaken up for the museum in a little while so that's going to be very exciting and um, but this podcast is probably still going to be coming out on the 1st and the 15th of every month if you uh, enjoy this episode please do share it with your friends please do subscribe or follow us if you're not already doing so and if you've got any questions or comments for us uh, you can email us at rainbow at nlm.ie or tweet us with the hashtag askastoryteller. Um, and that's it from me. Thank you so much. Slán. Bye. Bye-bye. 
This episode of National Leprechaun Museum Talking Stories features Mark O'Garon and Eleanor Walsh. The legend of Knockgrafton was told by Tom O'Rahilly. Thanks for listening. Slong a fall.